Warning, this podcast episode contains explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grishaverse podcast. In this podcast, we'll be covering all of the Grishaverse, and it will be full of spoilers. No, really, we are going to have lots of spoilers. We'll be discussing the original Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the King of Scars duology, season one of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, and even Demon in the Woods, The Tailor, and The Language of Thorns. We'll be covering a character, topic, arc, or wild conspiracy theory in each show. So bust out your tinfoil hats and join us. We're a group of three friends who have spent years reading the books in the Grishaverse and discussing them together. Our group chat passed 5,000 messages in the month after the book Rule of Wolves and the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation came out, so we figured we should get some live talking in, and we'd love for you to join us for the ride. My name is Anjali. I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. Today, we are talking about Bagra. So today, we're going to be discussing the Darkling's mother, Bagra. And to start with a quote that I think summarizes Bagra nicely, it is the first time she is mentioned in the Shadow and Bone trilogy when Jenya tells Alina, tomorrow you meet Bagra. She is an absolute treat. And the fun <laughs> name fact for this episode is that Bagra is an anagram for Ragba, which is not really a fun name fact. I had a really hard time finding them because this is not really a name. So in Hindri maybe coincidentally or not coincidentally, Bagra means to run. That could be related to the past we find out Bagra has in Demon in the Woods. Or to helping Alina escape. Ooh. Yes. Do we actually know that Bagra is her real name? <laughs> no, we we don't. And we'll get to it later. But Bagra seems to lie just every time she opens her mouth. And so we do know that it is a name that she is using. It is not a name that we saw her using back in Demon in the Wood. All right, let's cover her in the books. So we first meet her as one of Alina's teachers. She is a reclusive figure who lives in a dark hut. She seems to be perpetually cold as she's always huddled near the fire inside of it. She's very grumpy, sarcastic, harsh, exacting. She never seems to be particularly impressed by Alina's power or the efforts Alina makes in displaying it. As the books go on, we learn a little bit more about her. She's actually the Darkling's mother, and she is the one that warns Alina against him and his ambitions and intentions to make her a slave with Morozova's collar. The Darkling eventually plucks out her eyes in retaliation for that betrayal. At the very least, he blinds her, maybe. <laughs> I don't think we know. <laughs> Later on in the books, she tries to teach Alina a bit more about her powers by training her in the cut, and the last we see of her is when she enters into battle with the Darkling at the spinning wheel, and she jumps off the face of a mountain, presumably to her death. One fun fact is it's actually the same actress who plays Madame Hooch, the flying instructor in Harry Potter. In the show, Bagra is less outright abusive. I don't think we ever actually see her strike Alina with her cane. She does give her a drugged tea, and it's unclear if Alina realizes that it's a drugged tea or not. The other things that she does in the show that are pretty different are she directly challenges the Darkling when Alina runs away and the tracker has gone missing. 
So kind of interesting because since the books are from Alina's perspective, we never get to see a scene where it's just the Darkling and Bagra without Alina. And then the other big thing that happens in the show is that she actually has a minion who's helping her, who she has attempt to kill Mal. And maybe just to get into the backstory just a little bit, the one time that we do get to see the Darkling and Bagra interacting without Alina there is in the short story, The Demon in the Woods, which takes place when the Darkling was 13. And we really see the relationship between him and his mother, which is not a typical relationship by any means. She's really hard on him. She's really kind of drilling him on all of these things that she feels like he'll need to know to stay safe. But by the time we see them in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, at least 400 years have passed, probably significantly more, and their relationship has dramatically changed. And we don't see anything from that intervening time in the books. Okay, so similar to The Darkling, Bagra is a prolific liar, and I thought it would be fun to again list out some of her known lies and maybe questionable ones. Kicking us off, the most obvious one is that she hides her Grisha talent from basically everyone at the Little Palace, like nobody knows what she's doing. And of course, she hides the fact that she's the Darkling's mother, that he's the original heretic, and that there's only one Darkling. One of the big lies of omission that we see that we've mentioned in previous episodes, but she and the Darkling both do not tell Alina that other Grisha struggle to use their powers, even for the months when Alina is struggling with that in Shadow and Bone. She also tries to convince Alina that Morozova's stag doesn't exist. She makes fun of the Darkling when he suggests getting an amplifier from it. She also tells Alina that the Darkling created the fold intentionally. She says this in the book where later on it seems pretty clear that it was not intentional. Uh, In the show, they definitely did make it intentional. Although, what do we know since the only two people who are still around from then (laughs) are the two biggest liars? (laughs) It's true. In Rune and Rising, when we learn all of Bagra's heritage and backstory, she tells Alina, I am Morozova's daughter, and the Darkling is the last of Morozova's line. And it's a big reveal, but upon reflection, it's actually a huge lie because we know from the book Language of Thorns that she has another daughter named Ula, who is half mermaid, and she could have more, but the very least Ula exists. So this is a huge lie. Rule of Wolves indicates that he has many other. That's a great point. I always forget about that part. Through Bagra. Yeah. She tells Nikolai that if needed, he should kill Alina with a bullet, like even though we know that people have shot the Darkling before and he survives them. Yeah, and later on, Bagger even says, you won't actually be able to be killed with a bullet when you have three amplifiers. The other lie that Bagger tells that she may not actually realize is a lie, but a lot of the plot of the book actually hinges on this. When telling Alina her backstory, she tells her that her father, Morozova, resurrected her sister, who we call Swanbreaker as shorthand, through his regular Grisha healing powers. We discover later that he actually resurrected her using Merzost, like she was one of his other amplifiers, which is the whole reason that Mal is now an amplifier, because he's one of her descendants. And it's possible she didn't realize, but it's also possible that she does realize, and she's keeping Alina from finding her third amplifier that way. And one of the ways that we see Bagra really kick off everything with 
lying is in the demon in the woods. She and her son lie about literally everything. Where they've come from, where they go, what languages they can speak, what they've seen, their names, if possible, their amplifier status. I don't think they're really able to lie about their powers so much. And then when Alexander kills those two Grisha children, she pushes his lie that they were killed by the Otkazatsia people in the village and goes and actually gets revenge on them. Yeah, it's major. So I hope you believe us that Bagra is not (laughs) always to be trusted. And that's really important because I don't think the book necessarily outright emphasizes that. And one thing that, you know, is pretty crazy is that so much of the backstory and mythology of the book about Rosava and his amplifiers come directly from Bagra and what she tells Alina, given her propensity for untruths and lies of omission, it kind of makes us question, like, is what we know of the Grishaverse right? It comes from this very narrow kind of unreliable lens. Yeah. And it's interesting that Alina doesn't seem to spend a lot of time questioning it. Right. She really takes it as truth when Bagra tells her, starting from when Bagra comes in as like, the Darkling is the Black Heretic. And she doesn't really question Bagra from there. Yeah. yeah. So based on that, is there anything that we think about the Grishaverse or how the small science works potentially not true or at least questionable? All of I it. Mean, <laughs> I think a lot of it is right? suspect and I don't know enough to what to be questioning. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we spoke a little bit to this in the Darkling episode where one of the big questions we have is, are Bagra and the Darkling even Grisha? Mm-hmm. Like, is their power small science in the way that it is for the corporalki, etherarchy, and the materialki? I think we we don't have a clear answer to that because we don't really understand what's going on. I would say what's cool about this is that since Bagra is like the epitome of unreliable source of truth, it does mean that Bardiga has the opportunity to then completely play around with these rules in subsequent books, which I think she does quite a bit in King of Scars and Rule of Wolves. When the saints come back, they're able to tell Zoya things that seem to directly contradict what we learned in the original trilogy. That's exciting. I find it a little <laughs> frustrating at times, personally, but I think as an author, it does give you kind of more creative power. It so. does. And do we even trust those three saints, like Elizabeth, especially? <laughs> like Her agenda is very shady and questionable. So maybe in the next yeah. set of Grisha Burris books, if cross your fingers, she writes them, she can completely change it again. Yeah, Zoya will actually figure it all out and write a handbook and be like, okay, everyone, Here's what's happening. Yeah, I once saw Lee Bardugo at Comic-Con and I asked her directly because she was speaking about after writing the Shadow and Bone trilogy, she was really frustrated going into writing a duology because she wanted to do all this stuff, but she had set all these rules about what magic means. And Jirda Perem is like the magic bullet that allowed her to kind of expand what she could do and make kind of cooler, more exciting plots happen. And I think it's really interesting to think about the fact that Bagra is a liar. Relying on that actually gives her more creative power for other books without necessarily creating another crazy drug. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the backstory. I think one thing that comes up is She claims she doesn't remember who the Darkling's father is. What do we think of that? 
Yeah, I would say that's suspect. So specifically, she says very dismissively, oh, I wanted a child, so I sought out the most powerful Grisha I could find. He was a heart render. I don't even remember his name. I feel like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like she clearly remembers his name. Maybe she doesn't think it's relevant because he's so old at this point, he doesn't exist. Maybe she thinks that's something that would make her vulnerable in some way or would make Alexander vulnerable. There are kind of three theories here for me. One is that she does know who he was and it's somehow relevant and she doesn't want to share it. The second is she knows who he was and it's just not really relevant. And the third is that she killed him because (laughs) they had sex and he found out she was an amplifier and she couldn't risk him telling anyone. And so she killed him after she found out she was pregnant and she doesn't want to talk about it. Yikes. That's dark, even for Bagra. I mean, we saw her kill an entire town. Well, with the help of the other Grisha. Yeah, with the help of the other Grisha. But they went and they killed an entire town. I think she could kill one guy she slept with. I also like your theory around, like, the real father of the Darkling is someone relevant. That said, there's no one we know from that age except maybe, like, Jurtis or Gregory or one of the other saints from the Book of Saints, right? Oh, shit. Or, like, one of the kings. Like, maybe he is actually, like, royalty. That would be incredible. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. A secret Grisha yeah. king. Zoya is not maybe the first. Maybe not a Grisha king? Lee, there's your plot for your third duology right there. <laughs> Go and write it now. <laughs> the Darkling is a Lansov. Um... <laughs> But I mean, this idea, I I totally believe that Bagra might seek out the most powerful Grisha she could find. I think that makes a lot of sense. But the Darkling does not seem to have inherited anything Grisha-wise from his father that we know of. He has his mother's power, his mother's amplifier. Maybe he was just some random dude, not even a Grisha. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that would be a great plot twist. Speaking of people finding out she was an amplifier, I know one really interesting point that you raised earlier was about why Bagra maybe should have had some suspicions about Mal earlier. Do you want to talk about that, JJ? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is striking is that Alina, when she is on the fold, really lights it up and kills a lot of Volcra. And when Bagra is training her later on, she is not able to do anything like that without an amplifier, even when she is being hit, even when she is being provoked into all of these things. It's not unless she has an amplifier that she is able to actually have really powerful light in the way that she did on the fold. And this seems to be that Bagra and the Darkling might then have thought that there was an amplifier present on the skiff. They might have been suspicious that Mal was potentially an amplifier, or at least questioned what had happened. And we never, in the book or the show, see that happen at any point. Yeah, I know we love to try and fill in these gaps, I was thinking about it. The best I could come up with was that there was a known amplifier on the skiff. And so they assumed that whoever that Grisha was was touching Alina. But don't you think they'd at least confirm that? Or in the tent when he's questioning them about what happened, you'd expect that Grisha amplifier to be there or for them to realize at that point. Yeah, you absolutely would. And related to amplifiers in Bagra, one of the things that we see, we talked about this in the Mal episode, how Mal and the Darkling as amplifiers seem to have different effects on Alina. 
And Bagra is the other human amplifier we really get to see in this series. And she has a different effect than the Darkling too, even though they are the same type of amplifier. Presumably the Darkling inherited his amplifier ability from Bagra. And we see that when she grabs Alina's arm to feel for the Firebird amplifier, Alina does not, in her, we're in her head, Alina does not describe any of these sensations or rushes of surety or calm or emotion sharing that she does when the Darkling even just grazes her skin. And so it's interesting that we just don't exactly know what's going on there. Can Bagra turn it off? Does she put a bunch of paraffin on her skin or whatever it is that Nina uses in Six of Crows to evade amplifier detection and it somehow kind of breaks that? I am also just generally curious. I do think it's a shame that Alina and Bagra never kissed because we really see this connection <laughs> open up between Alina and the Darkling and it seems to be implied that it's an amplifier thing and it's a different thing with Mal and I think it'd be a really interesting data point to have if Alina and Bagra had ever kissed so we could better triangulate what type of amplifier and what seems to matter but alas Canon did not provide that. <laughs> One thing you mentioned is when Bagra grabs her wrist to feel for the firebird fetters Alina doesn't mention feeling any of the typical feelings we associate with her using her power. In Shadow and Bone, the first time she meets Bagra, she does. She actually says, I felt the same jolting surety flow through me. So it does make me wonder if amplifiers are able to turn on and off, in a sense, their ability to trigger these feelings of calmness and surety or not. Yeah, I mean, all we know about that really is that the Darkling was not able to in Demon in the Woods. But in the intervening 800 years or whatever, possibly they figured that out. So how does she relate to some of these other characters? I mean, starting, we really talked about her relationship with her son, Alexander, to clarify, since I guess it is implied that she has others that we don't hear about, although I assume we will if there is another Grishaverse book. How does she relate to Alexander? Oh, it's such a weird dynamic. And I guess that's maybe just what happens when you're both alive for hundreds and hundreds of years or something. But it's weird to observe them. It seems like they're constantly frustrating each other, and yet they can't stay away from each other. I think every interaction that we observe between them, again, it's through Alina's eyes in the trilogy, they are fighting or arguing. Maybe it's not so different from the relationship we all have with our parents on second thought. <laughs> yeah, but I think you have a point because I think looking at Bagger as a mom generally, yeah, this is the interaction she might have with Alexander after 800 years. But we see in Demon in the Wood when she's a relatively young mother and they do have kind of like a weird relationship. She's not a typical mom. She's not really nurturing. She doesn't seem super caring. She's very kind of demanding. And it's like she's training him, right? At the same time, she's very fiercely protective of him. I think when he assumes that she's going to be disappointed in him for killing the other Grisha children, she says, I'm not sorry. Do you understand me? I would burn a thousand villages, sacrifice a thousand lives to keep you safe. Like she really cares about him. Like she has that mother bear instinct. But I think that's one of the rare times that he actually feels it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you call that mother bear 
because in some ways she also kind of reminds me of the tiger mom stereotype. Oh, for sure. Yes. The one key difference, though, is that she actually praises him and tells him that she's proud of him. And a true tiger mom, that is like the golden rule that you do not do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we only get glimpses of this, but it does seem like a lot of her early relationship with her son was in reaction to her own relationship with her parents, which was terrible. She loved her dad. Her dad loved her. Her mom vastly preferred her younger Otkazatsia sister. And then in the end, when she accidentally killed her sister, her dad revived the sister and then was killed in air quotes for it. She doesn't actually think he drowned when he was thrown in the river, but he never came to find her. And then her mother essentially gave up in the middle of the forest, leaving Bagra to fend for herself. And I think she really grew up feeling this total lack of love and feeling like her sister was prioritized over her and that she would not do that to her son. This is I guess we'll get into it a little bit later. This is part of why I find her having just like lots of other children scattered around other places very unbelievable. But I I think we really see her intensity with Alexander and that desire to make her mark as a parent in the way that she did not have parents there to help. I think maybe one of the things she feels like she didn't get from her parents was being prepared to handle life and to handle the world, whether that means um, learning how to use her powers or just basically how to navigate herself because she she ends up kind of having nothing and having to fend for herself. And so I think she probably thinks the most important thing she can do for Alexander is prepare him to use his powers to protect himself to make his way in the world. And that's kind of how she ends up showing her love. And then in the intervening hundreds of years, (laughs) she's maybe rethinking this child rearing strategy. Things change. And she, I think, probably has real regrets about how she raised him because I think she is like, oh, no, I think I forgot to install a moral compass and (laughs) is very concerned for his character, almost like his soul, which is kind of odd for a being that's um, been around for so long. But she, she tries to instill, how does he put it, quaint notions in the Darkling, like forgiveness and mercy. And at that point, it's kind of too late. He's over it. I actually get the sense that her opinion on these things evolved since when the Darkling was young. Because again, that quote you mentioned earlier, Anjali from The Demon in the Woods, where she was like, I'll kill whoever, it doesn't matter. Like that seems very at odds with her later attitude towards the Darkling and her fear of him being beyond redemption. So we talked a little bit about her relationships with her parents and her son. I'm also curious, we don't know much about her relationship with Swanbreaker. We don't even know her real name. But it does strike me that's another relationship that is not healthy or close. And it's actually pretty sad for me to think about because, like, I have a little sister. JJ, you have a little sister. Like, I love my little sister. And it's quite sad to see that they don't have that relationship either. And then in Rule of Wolves, we really get the suggestion that Bagra's little sister is still alive. And also that Bagra is still alive. And that in all these hundreds of years, they never 
found each other. They never repaired a relationship. And we actually see the sister either signaling her presence or perhaps taunting her older sister just a little bit. Really setting up for that next duology. Yeah. So the only other instance where we get to see Bagra's maternal skills or lack thereof (laughs) up close is in Language of Thorns. There's a short story where, as mentioned before, we learned she has a mermaid daughter named Ula. And I remember when JJ and I first talked about this, JJ was aghast. She said, Bagra, bang a mermaid, she would never. (laughs) And regardless of what you think about that, I don't think it's necessarily out of the question that Bagra would continue seeking men of power. But it does, it did seem shocking to me too that she would abandon Ula the way that she did. She basically gave her up to her mermaid father to raise, and Ula grows up not knowing her real identity, feeling very ostracized and sad uh, most of her childhood until the Darkling shows up and tells her the truth. And he describes her to Ula. She's like, kind of like, why wouldn't she, why would she leave me? And the Darkling's like, oh yeah, that's just kind of how her mother is. Yeah. yeah to I want to say, to be clear, I Bagra banging a mermaid, like, okay fine. You live long enough. (laughs) Everything's on the table. Carrying the pregnancy to term and then just ringing a bell underwater and like babies off. That that made no sense to me based on the mother that we saw in Demon in the Woods. Totally. Yeah, I feel you. My only thought was that maybe she wanted to give Ula training and preparation and because she's half mermaid she wouldn't necessarily be able to teach her to sing magic whatever mermaids do and so she gave her to the mermaids to raise for that reason i am curious like we learn at the age of what like 15 16 she hasn't had any contact with ula but i'm really curious if she ever bothers to get in contact with her later in life and whether she does develop a relationship with her like that is kind of up in the air, but it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, there is references to Bagra having other children in Rule of Wolves. At the time, I assumed that Bagra had maybe had these previous children, abandoned them, wasn't a great mother to them, and decided she was going to try harder and actually really invest in one child when she'd had the Darkling. But the thing is that I believe Ula is supposed to be younger than him. So that theory wouldn't really hold water, if you will. <laughs> Thank you, JJ. Oh, grown. <laughs> is Bagra any good as a teacher? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to answer that. I can say that she's probably definitely a somewhat abusive teacher. I think in Demon in the Woods, maybe she had a different style. Uh, or maybe it was just for teaching her son, as Kat mentioned. She was drilling him, but she also kind of gave him direct praise. As a teacher in the little palace, she just seems so displeased with everyone and so harsh and just constantly insults her students and hits them with a stick a lot, constantly. With other Grisha, we hear the gang in Ruin and Rising that kind of are having reminiscences of Bagra after they assume she's died, but they're all about how she was super mean to them. She told Zoya she was pretty but stupid. Harsha was like trying to learn, accidentally set a fire in her hut, and she hit him with a stick and then never 
taught him again. She kicked him out. And then Nadia is the one who kind of reveals she's also had a block. And so to deal with it, Bagra locked her in a room with a hive of bees and made her figure it out. Like, that's just, I mean, it, it's horrifying. Yeah, I think some of the difference between her teaching style of the Darkling and then these later Grisha is in part because she's the mother of the Darkling and maybe treats him specially. He is different and probably already stronger than many of these others are. But I also feel like she might be compensating for what she did with the Darkling where she did praise him. She told him that he was the best and the most important. And what he turned into was a monster, in her opinion. And she doesn't want that to ever happen again. I think we talked about that a little bit with her treatment of David, where he reveals during that same sort of reminiscing session that Bagra hated him and saw him once and refused to ever teach him. Uh, And he doesn't know why. And I think you theorize that maybe it's because David reminded her of the Darkling and his ambitions, and she didn't want to create another one. Oh, that's an interesting theory. I think in the book, Alina thinks it's because David reminds her of her father. I like your theory, too. Yeah, I like your theory more than Alina's. (laughs) (laughs) Can we actually talk about that a little bit more? So let's say that Alina is right, that David does remind Bagra of her father, and that's why she like straight up hates him. Why exactly is that? Or like, I don't understand why that would be the case. I think Alina was saying that Morzovo is brilliant, but he chased it too far and he didn't realize what actually became dangerous or could be used for evil. So she sees the potential for another person to introduce chaos into the world. And we do actually see David giving the Darkling the power to cross the fold Mm -hmm. on his own. I will also give an alternate theory as to Bagra's teaching style in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, which is just she is incredibly bored and over it and (laughs) has realized that this is just about as effective and she doesn't care if the students really like her. So it's easier for her to just kind of whack him occasionally and go from there. So you think she's over it, but she does agree to teach when Alina asks her again, instead of just staying in her hut. She's like, yeah, who else is there to teach them? The most positive Bagra answer you could expect from her when asked to do something. And to be fair, Bagra seems to have trained the entirety of the second army (laughs) by herself, more or less. And she seems to be at least as effective as the Grisha in the second army are. Yeah, maybe she's just trained so many, like you said, she's bored. Or maybe she just doesn't want to get attached to her students because she's probably Mm -hmm. seen a lot of them die before. Literally all of them. Well, let's talk about her teaching style with Alina specifically and and kind of her relationship with her. In the first book, she doesn't seem to be, she's the one person that is not impressed with Alina's power, which I thought was actually kind of an engaging dynamic and made me really interested in Bagra. She's not impressed with Alina's displays of her power. And even when Alina finally overcomes her block, she's just like, eh. Finally, okay, now the real work begins. <laughs> but it kind of sets her up to be this wise mentor figure to Alina. And I was really excited to see where Bagra and Alina's relationship would go in future books. But it just gets really weird. Like, Bagra is really 
angry at Alina in the rest of the trilogy. She doesn't really want to talk with her. She doesn't really want to engage with her. The conversations she has are somewhat begrudging. And she does teach her to use the cut and she does reveal the story behind Morzova's amplifiers to her. But I just kind of thought there was so much more potential to the Bagra-Alina relationship that doesn't really get fulfilled. Yeah, <laughs> I I fully agree. I I think the fact that we have had such a hard time piecing together why she does all the things that she does, or even exactly what sort of things she does, really shows how certainly Alina doesn't understand her, because we're in Alina's head and we would understand better if she did, but how to a lot of extent there isn't really a character there for Alina to interact with. Bagra's there to reveal pieces of information when they need to be revealed. And that's really her purpose in this story. Yeah, I actually love that you said that, Anjali, that she's almost set up to be this mentor character after she helps Alina escape. You think that, okay, like in the next books, they're, you know, going to get back together and take on the Darkling together. And then it's really not that. It continues to be this hostile, abrasive relationship where at times Bagra won't see Alina And there's this one quote that I really loved in the second book where after Alina leaves almost in tears after seeing Bagra for the first time, she says to herself, what had I expected that she would greet me as a daughter, welcome me as a friend? And I think that perfectly encapsulates how we as the reader expected that scene to go. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that Vardigo kind of turned that expectation on its head because I too was expecting it was going to be this power female Grisha duo. And it was never that. Yeah. I mean, my answer to that Alita's question is, yes, it would be great if she welcomed you just as those things, because it's what I'd like to see as a reader. At the same time, it's not fair to Bagra to expect her to be so gung-ho about helping Alina. I think Bagra is very conflicted. Yeah, she's on the side of like what she thinks is the moral right, but it means going against her son, who she loves. And More than so anything. I understand the reason that she's perpetually grumpy. Do you think Bagra likes Alina? Ooh, I don't. Because we see her like other characters. Later in the books, we see her like Nikolai and they have this really kind of sweet relationship (laughs) we see her almost like begrudgingly like Misha I mean she's kind of grumpy with him but it's clear that she is somewhat attached to him but she avoids Alina whenever possible I don't think she likes her One thing that has surprised me for a while about Bagra's interactions with Alina is that Bagra does not kill her. Mm -hmm. Instead, Bagra helps her escape. Bagra could have easily killed her when she realized the Darkling's plan, and she chose not to. In my sort of conspiracy theories about all, all of these things, I think part of it may be that she was not completely sure that Alina could be killed and did not mm. want to reveal that to Alina at that point, which then kind of makes sense where she's like, just go and like really hide. It doesn't seem like there's a plan later on for Alina to get stronger and then come back and do anything. It's just like, go and disappear. You're right that in the show, Bakra does try to have Mal killed, but she doesn't try and have Alina killed. We don't exactly know that. That's, yeah. We don't know what would have happened if Alina had followed Bagra's instructions, which I also think is Ooh, great what if. I like that. And, oh, just to bring this back, I thought it was interesting in the show where we do get to see Alexander and Bagra have a conversation without Alina present. 
And he says to her, I always have hope, mother. Even you can't kill that. (laughs) And I thought that was such an interesting line, right? It's very obviously part of this much longer conversation that they've had over centuries. But even you can't kill that. And we see as viewers, she's recently killed people and tried to kill Mal and all of these things. But what that line in revealing, there feels like there's so much about their relationship in that line. It's also weird because in the books, Bagra's the one who never gives up hope on the Darkling. <laughs> yeah, very true. I'd love to talk more about her relationship with Alina. I think there's a lot to dig into here. Like, it is at least borderline abusive, if not worse, in the books. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And in the show, she is a little gentler with her. But as you mentioned before, she does drug her. <laughs> and I, I do not think Alita is aware of it, which is abusive. Also, uh, not yeah. physically abusive. But yeah. yes, it is abusive. I think the other time that I really stood out to me that she was being cruel, if not outright abusive, was with Misha. I think she's trying to be kind to him in her own twisted way, but he's seven years old and he's isolated. He doesn't know if his mother is still alive. And there's that one part in Rune and Rising where the Darkling shows up and she forces Misha to act as her guide to face down the Darkling, even though he's like shaking with fear. And that seemed really unnecessarily cruel to me. Yeah, I never thought about that, but that is a great point. Like, It's so mean. She could have had anyone else lead her. She definitely subscribes to the everyone suffers and hopefully you learn from it school of thought. Like she she is fine inflicting suffering. I think this is part of the having very long lives or being immortal where you see these things as much more transient and maybe as educational opportunities in a way where people who are really living in a day-to-day it is a very different experience and she just does not seem to care. Yes, that's a great point. Actually, that reminds me of another time where she is offhandedly unnecessarily cruel, which is when she and Alina are talking about Sergei. And she's like, what's wrong with that boy? And Alina tries to explain to her like, oh, he's having a really hard time. He saw Marie get killed right in front of him. And Bagra says something like, suffering is cheap. The only thing that matters is what each man makes of it. And I thought it was just like a really flippant and unempathetic way of viewing someone else's suffering that because Sergei doesn't have the resiliency that she would expect, I thought it was like very cruel of her to expect him to not crumble. For sure. And I think it was interesting because it almost sets it up so that when he does later maybe betray Alina and crew to the Darkling, that it's almost like a hey, you should have known better, Alina. Like, that guy was weak. I don't know. I really didn't like that part of the book. I agree. Yeah, I would have rather the Darkling found them through some other way. Okay, and Mal. There is a point in Rune and Rising where she almost recognizes his voice when he comes to get Alina. What do you think was happening in that scene? I thought that was absurd. In order for her to recognize his voice, he would have to sound like her dad, who she hasn't heard for, I'm guessing, a thousand plus years. Just, and his descendant, dozens of generations hence, sounding so much like him. I think it's there so that we later on recognize that she sort of recognized what was happening, but it doesn't actually make sense to me that she could have recognized anything from Mal's voice. 
I feel you. I, I think it doesn't really make sense that she would recognize Mal's voice. At the same time, it could be that she recognizes something in Mal. I thought it might be similar to how the show introduced how Mal associated like a tone with Alina and a tone with the stag. And so like maybe Bagra, who is an amplifier, recognized something in another human amplifier or specifically an amplifier she's related to. That's a good point because what she does ask Alina is, is he Grisha? Like that's the one thing she wants to know. Yeah. Again, I think it was likely because Lee hadn't decided that Mal was Amplifier in the first book, but she definitely had decided he was an Amplifier in the third book. And so (laughs) there needed to be hints that were dropped. That was one of them. It's maybe slightly a far-fetched one. Is this where we'd use the word retconning, JJ? I think so. One thing that we talked a little bit about, and I got into my personal headcanons on the Darkling episode, but just that it is implied in the books that the Darkling, the relationship between Bagger and the Darkling, between Shadow and Bone at Siege and Storm, he does something to leave her blind. And she has these, this darkness in her eye sockets. And one of the things there, which I just, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I, I don't think it was a, he deliberately went in and blinded her. But based on what we know about the small science and based on what we know about Merzost when we see him use it, If that darkness in her eye sockets was his, he could not keep it there from the distance that he ends up being from her in Siege and Storm and also in Ruin and Rising. And so that darkness in her eye sockets is definitely hers. That's like her (laughs) putting that in there. Potentially for the good, right? Covering up maybe just some horrific bloody eye sockets or whatever it is. But that darkness is hers. Yeah, that's a great point. We saw the limits of his ability to send his shadow soldiers in the second book. One thing that's come up a couple times here is Bagra's relationship with morality and religion. And I think it's evolved a lot over the years. So I think it'd be great to to talk about. We see in, in Demon in the Woods, she's not above killing people. She's a bit ruthless. She's certainly still cruel now, but she seems to have real issues with Merzost. She thinks it's an abomination, and she's very concerned with the Darkling's usage of it. I think it's interesting to your earlier point around so much of what we know about the Grishaverse and small science is from Bagra in the original trilogy. And she is the one who's telling us that Merzost is bad and an abomination and we shouldn't be doing it. I think the only thing that we have seen verified outside of what she said is that it does require typically some sort of sacrifice. So I actually don't know, is Merzost bad? I think the other kind of interesting thing is that Grisha and Joy using it. I think this came up a few times that it actually feels good similar to using the small science for them, even though it doesn't give them that same like health benefit that using their more traditional Grisha talents does. So I don't know what to make yeah, of Merzost anymore. Yeah, I mean, it does the opposite, right? They start. It does, but them. they enjoy it. I guess like Jordaparum, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And I don't know if necessarily her thoughts on Merzost have evolved. Perhaps she always thought it was bad and she just didn't think the Darkling would go as far to use it. But she certainly seems to have become slightly more religious. We see in Rune and Rising, she has Misha reading from a book of religious proverbs to her. 
And that's certainly not the young Bagra in Demon in the Woods. And it's so perplexing to me why. Like, she doesn't seem like a devotee of the church or someone that would follow the apparat, certainly. (laughs) Yeah, and we see hints of this a little bit in the original trilogy and more, I think, in Rule of Wolves, that Grisha do seem to have a different sort of religion than the rest of Ravka. There are some of the same tenets, but a lot of Grisha view saints as powerful Grisha in a way that other Ravkins don't necessarily. There's this Grisha concept of them making it the heart of the world that does not seem to be shared by other Ravkins. They have incredibly different wedding vows, which really struck me as a really big difference in how they treat kind of sanctity and the heart of their religion. And so I was also curious, is Bagra reading Kazatsia religious parables? What, what exactly is going on? Also, we see her always next to this blazing fire. I think there are a few possible explanations, and one is just the hashtag aesthetic. But <laughs> I think another is that it's a religious thing. And in that we see her becoming more into religion, I don't have any evidence that it's a religious thing. But it does seem like the sort of thing where maybe it's subtle, like a subtle enough observance that it goes mostly unnoticed in the little palace, but it's a way that kind of she is keeping that as part of her life. The other differences between how the Grisha view religion or morality and the non-Grisha that I can think of are non-Grisha think of a lot of Grisha caused occurrences as miracles and Grisha kind of They know that this was usually a deliberate act. One interesting crossover, though, is that non-Grisha wear or buy bones of their favorite saints. And I actually think that maybe came from some twisted understanding of amplifiers. Ooh, that's a great point, Kat. I love it. One of the things that I did think was interesting in seeing some Grisha religion was how Tolia and Tamar are ardent supporters of the Sun Saint and Sancta Alina. And they really, they are devotees and they have faith. And it's something that they understand as Grisha, but that is also part of their faith in a way that is a little bit different. It also makes me think, once again, that maybe Alina is not a standard type of Grisha. We obviously know there aren't any sun summoners that they've seen, but potentially that this is something a little bit apart from the rest of the Grisha orders. So I'd like to go back to something you were just saying before, JJ, related to Bagra and her fire. What's going on with Bagra and her power by the time we get to the trilogy? Is she ever shadow summoning? Like, If she's not, is that why she's so sickly and needs to be next to that fire all the time? This is... Baga's relationship with her power and the relationship to how she ages and when is something that has confused me a lot. And in, I believe, that same first conversation where Anjali was horrified to realize I shipped Darklina, I asked Anjali about why Bagra seemed so old and the Darkling didn't. And Anjali, I wish I remembered the answer you gave. I just remember not being satisfied because I was like, I don't think this makes sense. I continue to think it doesn't make sense. She doesn't use her power in front of other people, obviously. But at the beginning of Shadow and Bone, she uses a cane 
but her back is very straight and she seems energetic. There is a crotchetiness about her that I think in my memory made her seem very old, but it's actually not until we see her in Siege and Storm where her hair is grayed, her teeth aren't looking good, her back's more bent. She's aged so much in that time period. And so I don't know exactly what's going on. The only thing that could, that occurred to me that could account for the way she was aging in between Shadow and Bone and Siege and Storm is using Merzost, which would also seem to be very out of character for her, given how insistent she is that it's just a terrible thing and should never be done at any cost. It does seem like there's something going on with her not using her power and what that means about her physicalness, since we know they're so related, but it is not exactly clear to me what's going on. So when the Darkling talks to Alina about Bagra, he says no one around here is old enough to remember. So yeah, I think you're right that we don't know how old physically she's supposed to look. But I think that's where I got the sense that maybe she looked really old because the Darkling doesn't look super old. Like he looks only a couple years older than Alina. But yeah, but they say her back is straight like a Suli acrobat, Mm -hmm. you know, that and I, I think her hair is also black. I agree with you that her using Merzos seems totally out of character. I think the theory that we're supposed to have is that she's just not summoning and that makes you feel like really sickly and maybe that makes even powerful Grisha age. What is surprising to me is the difference in how much faster she seems to be aging than the Darkling between the Demon in the Woods and the Trilogy. I assume that some of the rapid aging that happens between the first and the second books was due to the Darkling's punishment for her, not only blinding her, but maybe otherwise physically affecting her or affecting her power in some way. I don't know if that's Mm a, certainly not a theory that addresses everything, but that's just one of the assumptions I had the first time I read the book. I mean, I do think you're right that it's perfectly plausible that being blinded will age you in other ways so much more quickly. I think it's similar to like you break your hip or like all these other things that kind of happen, especially as you age, that kind of compound and make you at least feel older than you did before. Yeah, and I think she's also super stressed. (laughs) Like her son's, he's gone rogue completely and Mm -hmm. she's conflicted and unhappy most of the time. So I have to ask, like you said, he's gone rogue. Like, what was she expecting of him the way she was training him and treating him, at least as far as we can see in The Demon in the Woods? Like, what is it that he's doing? Or is it her and her view of morality, like you were saying before, that's changed that makes her so disappointed in him and think that he's almost past redemption? That is an excellent question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know we specifically know that she disapproves of Merzost. I think she mm-hmm. disapproves of how careless is probably the wrong word, like how recklessly he will kill Robkins. And she doesn't approve of how his plans to expand the fold and use it as a weapon. But as we said, I think that's something that's changed because in Demon in the Woods, she is down with completely blaming yeah. the Ukutsaya for the Grisha children's murder. She's okay with killing an entire village. So I, I think that's an amazing question, and I, I don't know why. It's surprising because what she does say to him in the Demon in the Woods is, you're going to be a great leader. And he becomes that, well, if, I know we've talked about his questionable leadership skills, but... <laughs> 
He looks like he's a leader, at least by this point. They're also being chased around the world to hide their Grisha abilities, and so are the rest of the Grisha. And he's actually done something with Ravka with the second army so that Grisha no longer have to hide and are somewhat safer. Which seems like things that younger Bagrav, Bagrav Demon in the Woods would have approved of. Yeah. Feels like the change had to come from Bagra herself and how she looked at the means versus the ends. Having a mermaid child will change. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> <sighs> All right. So I think we mentioned this earlier. In Rule of Wolves, we actually hear that Bagra is potentially still alive, being called the Dark Mother up in the mountains. What do we make of this mention? Like, why was that there? We make of the mention that they use the name Dark Mother just so there's no doubt in the reader's minds who they're talking about. (laughs) I thought that was very strange. There's no reason for anyone else to call her Mother. That seemed really weird to me. But naming aside, I love the idea that Bagra did not die jumping off that mountain. I love the idea that she was going to survive and the Darkling knew that she was going to survive. And so what we actually see him reacting to is losing her. He he knows that she is still out there walking around and that she is not going to come find him and that he's not going to be able to come find her. I love that idea. It's a totally different dynamic and it's the sort of the thing that it felt like her parents did that she swore she would never do and she's doing it and i love that yeah i think we get some allusions to earlier that people of morozova's line can't just die so easily and she is not necessarily throwing herself to her death but is saying this is the death of our relationship i'm over being your mom so lightning round what do we think of bagra as a character I'll go ahead and start. I don't really think she's a character. There's, we've spent a lot of time trying to piece her motivations together. And the theories we've come up with, some of them have been really wild. And none of them has been able to explain her behavior throughout the trilogy and combining it. I mean, within the trilogy itself is one thing. Combining that with Demon in the Woods and the Language of Thorns is a separate issue. And I don't feel like there is enough there for me to have really any understanding of how or why she behaves the way she does in the trilogy. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I think she has so much potential in the first book. I do think she is a character then, and I think it really fizzles later in the trilogy where we don't understand her motivations. We don't get any straight answers from her on why she's acting anyway. She mainly seems to be a plot device in those books to further the story, and that's a shame. I think Bagra has so much potential. Certainly, like she has a potential to be this mentor figure, but her life is so interesting and I think it could have been explored more in the rest of the trilogy. I would still love if Lee Bardugo wrote a short story from her perspective, either from earlier in her life, explaining the real accurate story of Rosava or her, you know, meeting her father or her sister later. I think it would be fascinating. Please write it, Lee. For me with Bagra, even if her teaching methods do seem to be somewhat effective, I can't get over the wanton cruelty that she displays all the time, both in teaching and just casually, as I brought up earlier. 
I do think that she's almost in some ways a parallel to the Aprat. You were both saying this, but she had a lot of potential in the first two books to have this really interesting plot line that then gets kind of quashed pretty early on in the third book without much further thought. I think it's similar with the Aprat, where he in the first two books he's so creepy we don't know what his real motives are we don't know is he an ally is he going to help her and then in the third book at like basically the very beginning he gets put in his place and that's kind of the end of his storyline in the trilogy all right are we ready for our kiss mary kill let's do the three human amplifiers bagra the darkling and mal i'm gonna start with i'm a data person And so I'm going to start with collecting the data that should have been in canon. And I'm going to kiss Bagra. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to see what kind of connection that has. Thank you. Um, Assuming I'm Grisha here. So taking one for the team there. And then because I kissed his mom, I can't figure out if I should like marry the Darkling to apologize for it. (laughs) Or if I just kill him so we never really have to have that conversation. It's kind of weird if you kiss the mom and the son. I, I killed the Darkling, but then I marry Mal. And Ooh. he's he's kind of annoying, which sometimes in fiction is worse than being the villain. Yeah, I guess. I guess in this case, I'll just marry the Darkling and try to rein him in. And we'll say goodbye to Hot. Mal. <laughs> All right. I don't think it's a huge surprise that I would marry Mal. If I had to choose between the Darkling and Bagra to kill, I would kill the Darkling. He's too evil. And I'm down with kissing Bagra. I think she's really interesting, and I think she'd be fun to talk to, especially now that I know that kissing has these alternate definitions where you can just go into a closet and talk to them for seven minutes. I think Bagra would have a lot of interesting things to say if you put her to direct questions. She could answer a lot of my questions about the mythology of the Grishaverse. She might be lying to me the whole time, but I'm sure it would be an interesting conversation. It could be interesting because she'd be lying to you the whole time, so you just assume the opposite. It'd be like one of those labyrinth situations, Mm -hmm. right? Where Mm -hmm. you ask a liar a question to determine if they're lying (laughs) or not. So I think previously I said I would marry the Darkling, but I actually think now that Bagra's in the mix, I'd consider marrying her. I like being warm too. I'd be okay if she had her own little sauna or woman cave out in the yard by herself. I think I'm just going to have to hook up with the Darkling, though. Poor me. Instead of Mal, because I'm assuming this is book characters, and Mal is so Mal is so slut-shamey in the books that I don't think I would want to be his hookup. Thanks for joining us again this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe or leave us a review and rating. And if you have any feedback, questions, or ideas for us, please drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com.